politics, but it is an election year. There is a very important election coming up next month, and there is a lot at stake. So while I don't enjoy using Not in the Mood to talk about politics, we're going to do that this week. More importantly, we're going to talk about talking politics and talking politics in the workplace, which I'm sure many of you avoid as best you can. Because who wants to talk politics at work? But there's a lot going on in the world. And folks have some strong opinions. So we all need to be able to talk about our political opinions with people in a constructive manner, in a way that doesn't alienate other people, even if they may disagree with you. And it's been done before. It's not like people that disagree politically can't be friends. I'm going to share a couple of examples with you of political figures people in the public eye who have been able to maintain a personal relationship with someone with whom they disagree politically. It can be done. I promise you. And if you listen to me, if you hear me out over the next 15, 20 minutes or so, I will lay out for you my case for how you can talk politics with your friends and still remain friends. And I've brought in an expert for this week. His name is Joel Patterson. He calls himself a workplace culture expert. He's the founder of The Vested Group. He's also got a book out right now. We'll talk about that. But I wanted to get his perspective as a business owner and a leader in this community. How can we facilitate political discussions in the workplace or should we avoid them entirely? So that's what I want to talk to Joel Patterson about. But before we get to him and his comments, I want to share with you guys a couple of examples of people who disagree politically and still manage to stay friends and in one case have been married close to 30 years. First, we're going to talk about former, uh, the late Supreme Court, both of them are late Supreme Court justices, uh, conservative justice Antonin Scalia and liberal justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Now, it's well documented these two uh, were actually friends, even though they disagreed uh, vehemently on the bench and were at odds many times over their rulings in the Supreme Court. But personally, they were able to separate their personal disagreements and they were able to stay friends. And in many, by many accounts, uh, Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg were great friends and remained great friends until the end of Scalia's life. And obviously, uh, Justice Ginsburg passed away just a few weeks ago. So that's a really good example. Workplace politics, where you got two people that don't agree, but somehow you managed to Antonin Scalia, one of the most conservative members of the high court, uh, you know, that we've had versus Ginsburg, who's kind of the opposite end of the political spectrum. Yet somehow they were man- they were able to maintain a friendship that they had until the end of Scalia's life. The other example I want to share with you, uh, you might know the names James Carville and Mary Madeline, uh, both kind of behind the scenes in politics. Uh, Carville played an integral role in uh, Bill Clinton's presidential campaign in 1988 and then his re-election campaign in 92. Uh, As for Mary Madeline, she was a Republican uh, strategist and played an important role in the Bush administration. So you've got a Clintonite and a Bushite who managed to get married in 1993 and to this day are still married. Can you imagine the, 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 the dinner conversations those two have had. And the beauty of it is, I'm sure they vehemently disagree. But at the end of the day, they were able to say, 
I love you in spite of the fact that we disagree politically. I still love you and respect you, and I honor your opinion enough to allow you a place to share that opinion, even though it's not my opinion, and I'm not going to bash you for it. And I, and I firmly believe that if we were able to do this, all of us individually, if we were able to do this in our personal lives with friends and loved ones and, and relatives and cousins and people with whom we disagree politically, if we could find a way to focus on what unites us instead of what divides us in this country, I feel like we'd have a lot fewer people protesting in the streets. So keep that in mind as we uh, join now my conversation with Joel Patterson talking about politics in the workplace. As an organization, I will say that, that we focus almost like our number one priority as, as the best group is our culture and, uh, and, and making sure that we have consultants and team members that are really engaged, enjoy what they do, feel challenged. And, uh, and that, that really comes out in the projects that we work on and in developing client uh, relationships and, and making sure that their projects are successful. This is my second business uh, to found. And the first business, you know, we had some failure after uh, a pretty good run early on. It sort of fell apart after about seven years and, uh, and never really understood why that was until I started really investigating what culture was all about. And, um, and that allowed me to really uh, make that the, the centerpiece when I started the Vested Group of saying, all right, instead of always, you know, the cliche of customers always right, instead of focusing on that, I'm focused on making sure that our people are happy and productive and engaged, and that in turn results in happy clients, and uh, and it's worked. You know, our our for an or uh, an industry we're in an industry that has a lot of turnover typically, and our turnover is very low. Um, we have very successful projects, and we, you know we're on the best places to work list. Actually, we just got uh, we just won that award again a month ago. Uh, every year, and we take that stuff very seriously, and, and we're doing a lot of unique things. You know, like we're we're heavy into coaching, as an example. We have a full-time coach that does nothing but work with our employees in, in an effort to help them become better versions of themselves and learning how to how to grow in, in individually as, as well as professionally. So, um, so we we take it very seriously, and we're very intentional about it, and it's it's paid off. And we're talking today about politics and talking politics in the workplace. And the workplace has changed in recent years uh, with respect to the politic, uh, to the issue of politics. We're living in very divisive times, and it's just easier to not talk politics and work. Why is that? Well, uh, about a month ago, uh, I guess it's a little longer than that, a month and a half ago, a Cato Institute survey came out, and it said that two-thirds of Americans won't discuss politics at work. And I think what that does is illustrate just the divisiveness that's going on with the current election. And so it comes down to, you know, what do you, how do you perceive that or how do you uh, uh, lead your employees through that kind of thing? Do you allow them to talk about politics? Do you, do you ask them not to? Uh, and another thing that on that survey that's even more troubling than people just not being willing to talk about it is that almost half of the people that are under 30 said that, it is a fireable offense if they find out that one of their executives is a Trump donor. And when you start thinking in those terms and you start feeling obligated or entitled to let somebody go and, and because of who they support politically, you know, that's a slippery slope that, that I don't think any of us want to really deal with. And that, that borders on discrimination and bullying, right? And there's a lot of other things you can't race and gender and religion. You can't discriminate against that, but, 
it seems like there's a, a subset of the, the of people today in the, the business world that feel like you can actually let somebody go if they're a Trump supporter. And there were similar numbers for, for Biden supporters as well. Um, and so, you know, it just really got us thinking about what you need to do as an organization to make sure that you don't get caught uh, by surprise when something like this comes up. You think about all the Zoom calls we're having, as an example. Uh, you know, somebody might wear a, a, a political campaign shirt, uh, a Trump shirt or something like that, and it's most likely going to upset somebody. Even if they won't say anything about it, they might be an introvert that doesn't really want to engage and, and doesn't really want to uh, deal with the conflict that that might create. But it doesn't change their feelings, nevertheless, and, and you've got to recognize that. And so what I'm recommending to, to clients that I work with is that we you just leave that stuff at home for now. You know, when nobody's looking to to uh, stomp on your individual rights to communicate. It's not that at all. It's, it's really more about recognizing that you have a job to do. And that when we're at work, recognizing that that is not a topic that a lot of people feel comfortable with right now. And so you're better off just leaving that stuff at home uh, and, and dealing with that at, at, you know, at the dinner table or something. Uh, and it's even more important with the remote nature of the work that we have these days because one of the biggest struggles for businesses right now is really figuring out how to keep their people engaged and how to keep them motivated and productive. And if you've got things like that sitting out there that are automatic demotivators, it's just, you're just compounding the problem. So, so it's, it's better off just to leave that stuff at home. So what can employers do to foster the type of environment where employees feel free to express themselves politically? Uh, well, you know, I think I think that comes down to your culture. If you went into COVID with a culture that was toxic or that was not supportive of the employees, you're probably in even worse shape now. Uh, so, so what you've got to do, and if you're in that situation, is really be intentional about how you're going to change things. You've got to do the basics, right? You've got to communicate, both listening and communicating outwardly, to make sure that you understand what's going on in your organization, and also be transparent about things. Um, you know, a lot of times people will say things as leaders, either not follow through on it or find out later they weren't being honest. And that's just going to create an even worse environment. Uh, and then obviously, well, I, don't, I say obviously, you make sure that you have a company purpose and, and values that you live by, that you actually make hiring and firing decisions on. Uh, as an example, our company purpose is best job ever. And what that is supposed to to, to bring to, to your mind is, is when you're uh, a, a grandparent and you're sitting down with your grandkids someday and they ask you about your career and they say, hey, what was the best job that you ever had? We want them to talk about this place. And what that really does is instill in us a responsibility to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to uphold that, that goal. And, and when things like politics come along, we, we, again, need to look, all right, what is the objective here for people that want to talk about politics at work? Is it to change somebody's mind? Because that's probably not going to happen. Actually, I know that's not going to happen. Um, are you supporting the business? Are you supporting your clients? And you've got to take all that stuff into account in order to make a decision for your own individual situation. And I'm not here to say that everybody or every organization should do it exactly the same way. I'm saying that they need to be intentional about making the decision and looking at how their, their organization is structured and whether or not they can support that kind of conflict or that kind of volatility. I'd like to think in our organization, because we, we do talk about culture so much, that if that stuff did happen, that we could work through it. But there's really no reason to do that. I think just leave it at home. Uh, you know, there's other things that you can talk about, certainly, and there's other things that, that will, will create some 
spirited conversation that isn't going to leave people upset when you walk away. So what if you've got employees who just feel passionately about their particular candidate or cause or, or, or what have you, and and you know they just can't help them, themselves but but talk about that stuff at work? How do you how do you handle that? I have a conversation with them. I mean, at that point, if I've already if I've already announced that we're not going to do that, um, and they continue to do so, then I think we got to look at why. You know, I mean, uh, uh, what are they trying to do? Uh, one of our core values is always do the right thing. Are they following that that value? Are they are, are, or are they trying to intentionally instigate somebody? Because I feel like a lot of political conversations that happen these days, it's a yeah, but what about this? Oh, but what about this? You know, and it's not necessarily. Uh, moving towards some kind of peaceful resolution or even discourse. Um, and so I think if, if, if we had an employee that continued to uh, attack or, or, or just ignore the direction, then we'd have to have a conversation, understand why. And, and ultimately, you know, I can't imagine this happening, at least at our organization. We might have to have a, a, a disciplinary talk. I still think the best alternative is, is if we could all just be adults and learn how to disagree and still be friends. I, I am so with you on that, but you, uh, man, that just seems so hard these days, doesn't it? I mean, you know, even when you watch TV and you just see people yelling at each other all the time, it's just, it's, it's kind of, it wears you out. And, um, and, and unfortunately I think a lot of that has just sort of infected the, the rest of the, the nation and it's, it's, it's us versus them. You know, I don't know when it became that, but it never, you know, you can't have middle ground. You can't respect the other person's opinion. You, you know, it's just uh, it's it's disappointing, honestly. But I, I agree with you completely. If we could just have an adult conversation, everything would be so much better. Now, I don't often bring a guest on and then immediately contradict them and say go against what this guy just said. But you know, Joel Patterson's position as a business owner is that he just doesn't you know he discourages his employees from talking politics at work. I don't think that's good. I don't think that's the right way. Now, that's his company. He can do whatever he wants. For me personally, my advice to you folks is find someone that you don't agree with politically and talk to them. But but more importantly, before you get into the stuff that you don't agree on, find some common ground. Find something that you both agree on, whether it's border security, whether it's paying teachers more, whatever it is. If you can focus on finding common ground first and then get into the things that you disagree about, you can establish a rapport with that person first. That common ground is so important. And, and in the case uh, of Carvel and Madeline, you know, their common ground was each other. In the case of Scalia and Ginsburg, their common ground was the high court, their responsibility to decide cases for the American people based on the Constitution. And to their credit, in both of these instances, you've got, you know, really talented, intelligent people, successful within their field, uh, kind of big players, if you will in their school of thoughts, but they're able to separate that and find common ground with someone that they disagree with. And they're able to maintain those relationships. And, and nowadays in this world that we live in, where it's like everybody just wants to fight at the drop of a hat. It's more important today that we find things that we agree upon rather than what we disagree on. And like I said, if we could all find a way to, to come together and agree on, on, on the most important issues in this country, you're going to find that there's going to be a lot less civil unrest out there. And before you know it, we may actually find a way to work together and solve some of the problems facing our country. But we're not going to get anywhere until we can learn just to get along at work, at the dinner table, 
at the bar, anywhere. So I challenge you, like I said, go find somebody that you know you disagree with politically and talk to them. And and do whatever you can to end that conversation in a positive way. 